I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. I'm just going to mute everybody. Okay, so here we are very, very close to Rosh Hashanah. We're still in the month of Elul. And what we've been talking about in terms of Elul is it's a time to really connect to Hashem. It's a month of love, of connection, where the king is accessible, he's in the field, and he wants each one of us to petition him, talk to him, tell him about what we really want, and reconnect with him as we come into this month of this this holiday of Rosh Hashanah, which is called Yom Hadin, the Day of Judgment, which is very scary idea to us. But what we were talking about last week is how to understand Din and understand that the same God that loves us, the same God that has our back and only wants the best for us, is the same God that judges us. And that judgment really comes from a place of love. It means that we matter. It means that he cares about us. It means that he wants to steer us in the right direction. And so one of the ways that we can understand or at least become more acquainted with how we should relate to Din is by when it happens in our lives in small ways, we should recognize that it's coming from a loving God, that it's preventative. It's preventing something greater from perhaps happening and also that it's constructive. And um, and again, that it's coming from a loving God. So, you know, when little things in our day don't go the way we want to, we can say this mantra, which is Hashem Hu HaMelech. Hashem, he's the king. Because the mitzvah, the main mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is to coronate the king, is to make Hashem king. Now, you know, that's a very hard concept for us today. We don't live in a monarchy. We don't really understand the idea of a king. But the idea really is making God the center of our lives. You know, we're asking for life. And interestingly, the word life in Hebrew, chayim, has two yuds in the middle of that word. And the two yuds are actually one of Hashem's names. Hashem has many names. There are 72 different names for Hashem. But the Yud Yud is one of Hashem's name. And so the word Chayim, life, is teaching us something very important. That life, when we want life, we're not just talking about breathing and existing and going about this world in a kind of purposeless way, not really knowing who I am and what my mission is in this world in terms of what God is expecting of me, why God created me, but rather putting Hashem in the center, putting Hashem in the center of our life, that is what true life is. So this whole period of time 
you know, beginning with Elul and even before Elul, beginning really with Tisha B'Av or even the 17th of Tammuz when we fasted because the Luchot were broken, right? Moshe came down from Mount Sinai and the Jewish people had lost their purpose, had lost their way. After being at the loftiest heights on Mount Sinai, literally reaching the level of Adam Harishon before the Chet, they fell dramatically at the, on the 17th of Tammuz with the loss of the first Luchot, the breaking of the Luchot. And this whole time period has been a time of us returning to God, returning to our true purpose and mission in this world. So beginning then and all the way through the Hagim, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we have this whole time period of return of Teshuvah. And it's really a time where we're asking for forgiveness. We're telling Hashem that we want to change our ways. And we're yearning for the connection and to go in the right direction. Now, Teshuvah is a process. It's not something that happens immediately. It's a process. It's not even something that we do in one Rosh Hashanah. We spend our life in this posture of failure and then returning, right? There's no human being that's born perfect or that is perfect, right? We see that the tzaddik falls seven times. Now, what's the difference between a tzaddik and a regular person? Everybody falls. But the difference between a tzaddik is that he continues to get up. He continues to believe in himself and in the reality of teshuva, that Hashem truly wipes our slate clean and wants to give us another chance. And that this is part of his chesed and part of the way that he created the world so that we would never feel abandoned and we would never feel hopeless. Now we know that the voice of the Yetzirah is to tell us, give up. You know, you've made all these declarations of how you want to change and who you want to be. And over and over again, you fall short, you fail. So why not just give it up? I heard actually a beautiful uh, idea this Shabbos that was credited to Rav Shlomo Karabach. But the question is, is right after Yom Kippur, right after we spent the whole day in Shuva, asking God for forgiveness and and, and um, understanding that it's a day of forgiveness, right after Yom Kippur ends, 30 seconds later, the men generally are davening Mariv, the evening service, and in the Shemona Esrei, they're already clapping hate for the sins that they did. So the question is, what could they have done wrong in, the, in, in 30 seconds after Yom Kippur? And after all, they're still in shul. They haven't even spoken to anybody hopefully, right? They just sang the Shana Hababi Rushalayim. What could they possibly have done wrong? So there are many answers to this question, but the one that Rosh Shlomo Karabach Zetzal said is the hate is, the sin is that you didn't really believe that God forgave you. You didn't really believe it wholeheartedly. And that's the point is that we really have to understand that Hashem loves us and he gives us this gift of tshuva, of wiping our slate clean because of his tremendous love and compassion for us. So, 
So tshuva begins with Elul and the shofar blowing every day, but it continues to Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah has another name. It's not just called Yom Hadin. It's also called Yom HaMachshava, the day of our thoughts. Hashem is basically looking at us and looking at our thoughts. And the thoughts that we are thinking as we come into Rosh Hashanah and on the day itself are the thoughts of us wanting to realign ourselves again with our purpose in this world, with why we were created and realign ourselves with the wishes and the will of our King, our creator and re-accept his rulership over us. The Kutzker Rebbe said, it's much easier to talk about, proclaim God king of the entire universe than to make him king over yourself. So in Shemona Esrei um, on Rosh Hashanah, we add in that we want life and we want Hashem to remember us for life. And then we add in the word Lema'an Shemecha. Why are we asking for life, Hashem? Lema'an Shemecha, for your sake, not for our sake, for your sake. What does that mean? That's a very interesting idea. So, What we're saying is, Hashem, when we are aligned with your purpose, then we are furthering your desires for where you want the world to be, where you want the world to go. And so everything that we do, all of the different talents and potentials that you've given us, when we use them, Lema'an Shemo, for the sake of the purpose of the world, for the sake of realizing our own purpose in this world, we're furthering what your wish is. And therefore, it's for your sake, Hashem. So when I'm everything that I can be, I make Hashem shine more brightly in this world. And this world, as we know, especially the world we've been living in in the last few years, needs Hashem's light so badly. Only human beings can make Hashem king, right? Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation of man. It was on this day that God created the human being. He created Adam. All of creation reached its purpose with the creation of man. Why is this? Because only man is endowed with free will. Only man has the choice to either recognize his creator or decide to ignore his creator. Right? Animals worship God purely by instinct. We have a prayer called Parakshira, where we talk about the song that each animal, down to the smallest uh, animal, smallest insect, sing every morning when they awaken, just naturally, because they recognize that there is a creator and that they are a created being. The angels, as we know, have no free choice. They see God so clearly that they can't choose otherwise and to know that there's a God and that they have to obey his will. But human beings are, as we say, part animal and part angel. We struggle. On the one hand, we have this divine soul, this nishmat elokim, this breath of God, which enlivens us. 
which knows and recognizes its creator. But we have a tug of war. We have a war that we're constantly engaged in with our baser self, with our animal self, so to speak. That which wants us to just go in what feels good, in what's immediate, and what's pleasurable without really thinking about doing, um, living our life, the ma'an shemo, for the sake of God. Only a human being can decide whether God is going to be the center in the word chayim, life, or decide to ignore him. So that's what we mean, Hashem, that we, wanna, we want life, not just because we want to continue breathing and eating and going about our mundane life, but Lama'an Shemo, in order that we can further your vision of the world and we can be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So as we get closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah and this whole time period, you know, it's, it can be very overwhelming. And a lot of people have this posture of, you know, God is going to exact judgment on me. And it's a bit, it could be a very scary and overwhelming time. So I heard something this morning that I want to share with you because I think it was just mind blowing and mind changing. You know, over and over again in the Machsor, we talk about Hayom Harat Olam. Today is the birthday of the world. I think, Sarah, you were on this morning with Esther Ween, and she was talking about this idea that today is the birthday of the world. And the word harat is a very interesting word because it actually refers to the word herayon, which means pregnant. So another way of reading this verse that we read over and over again in the Machsor is today Hashem is pregnant with the world. The creation of the world, so to speak, was Hashem's pregnancy. And the world and all that's in it, including us, is like that child inside the womb of Hashem. So what uh, Rebbe Sinester Ween was saying is generally we see ourselves as this tiny little circle. And then we see Hashem as this big circle in the sky, so to speak. And this big circle is looking down on this little circle and saying, I'm going to judge you, right? And this kind of idea of Hashem and ourselves is frightening. I mean, it's like this big monster in the sky that has all this power and he's going to punish us or he's going to, you know, take us to task for what we've done wrong. But she has a whole different way of reading this based on the Svarim HaKadoshi. Again, going back to this idea of God is pregnant with the world and we are, so to speak, the fetus. It's not that there's these two circles, but rather it's one circle, which is Hashem, with a smaller circle inside, which is us. In other words, it's not that we are apart from Hashem. That's illusion. It's when we think that we're apart from Hashem that it becomes much easier to go astray when we see ourselves as separate. When we realize the reality and the truth that we are actually part of Hashem, that we are in Hashem, so to speak, in partnership with him, that we can't do anything without this 
being part of him. And it's not that Din is God um, necessarily punishing us from a distance. It's rather that when we see ourselves as separate from God, which causes us to do things that we shouldn't do, the system that God created malfunctions. And the malfunction is what din is, is what, what, what we feel as consequences to our actions, what we might feel as, why is God punishing me? So it's simply that we've created the din because we've seen ourselves as separate from Hashem and we don't recognize that we are in Hashem. We are part of Hashem. We are an expression of Hashem. So I'm just sharing that with you. I don't know. I just think that's a very beautiful and holistic way of understanding that it's not that we're separate and this, you know, this God in the sky who's distant from us is judging us and looking to find fault with us, but rather that din comes from our own actions and the consequences of the illusion that we often get into which is that I'm independent and I'm separate as opposed to the fact that I'm actually part of and, and, and very much intricately connected like a child is within the womb of his mother. Okay. So as much as we're supposed to, of course, do a cheshbon and nefesh and take a look at our year and ask ourselves, where are we going off? Where do we have this illusion of separate, separateness that creates a malfunction, right? In the whole system that God set up. Sometimes, you know, if we go too directly at trying to fix ourselves, it can get us down and it can get us depressed. And especially as women, we have a more of an inclination to get this way. So what we have to understand is that, again, Rosh Hashanah and these days are a process towards, number one, strengthening our strengths, looking at what we already do well and becoming even better at that, whatever mitzvahs we're already doing, right? Um, increasing in our love and our relationships with other people, especially those people in our circle one, who are the people that we find the most difficult. And if there's anything we can do to ensure a successful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's to be forgiving. It's to let go of our animosities, of our grudges, of our toxic hanging on, to what other people have said or done to us. Because Hashem promises us in the Gemara of Rosh Hashanah, we know this, ladies, that the degree to which you forgive other people, that's the degree to which Hashem will forgive you. So God says, don't say sorry to me. I, I appreciate when you say you're sorry for the things between you and me. But when it comes to your relationships with other people, the only way that I forgive is if you seek forgiveness from others. So the greatest insurance policy that you can have during this time 
all of us and any of us, you know, who have any kind of long-term grudges, even if it's something that we can only let go of in our heart, because if we called that person up, we know it wouldn't be good or too much time has passed, right? But even in our own hearts and minds, Rosh Hashanah again is Yom HaMachshava, the day of our thoughts. We want to just turn in the right direction on Rosh Hashanah. We want to say to Hashem, we want to be better. We want to be like you. And one of the greatest ways that we can be like Hashem is just as Hashem is forgiving and compassionate. And as I said in other classes, he's called the Melech Ne'elav, the insulted king, right? We are constantly insulting him. We are constantly ignoring him. We are constantly saying, leave me alone. I want to do things the way I want to do them. And yet Hashem continues to give us life. He continues to believe in our ability to change. And he continues to forgive us. And that's what we can do as Selim Elohim, as being created in his image. That is the greatest thing that we can possibly do during this time period. So I just want to put a plug in for that because... I think that's very, very important for us to remember. So for anybody who can make some kind of gesture, um, even if it doesn't go acknowledged, even if you don't get the result that you wanted, the fact is, is that you've made a step closer. You've done what you need to do. And it's, it's a huge accomplishment to do something like this before Rosh Hashanah. Okay. So Rosh Hashanah, again, is called the Yom HaMachshava, the day of our thoughts. And the reason for this is, is because our thoughts and din, which is judgment, go together. What do I mean by this? So sometimes in our thoughts, we have a lot of good intentions, right? We wanted to do that mitzvah. We wanted to help that person. We wanted to give that tzedakah, but we don't always follow through. Our actions don't always follow our thoughts. Now, sometimes it's because we're actually prevented from doing that act that we wanted to do. And we know that in Judaism, we say that Hashem rewards us even for our thoughts. That in other words, if we thought about doing something and we were prevented from doing it, God counts it as if we had done it, as if we did it, as if it's a mitzvah. So Hashem has a lot of compassion also between our intention and our action. We wanted to do good, but it didn't happen. We wanted to give tzedakah to that poor person on the street, but we reached into our pocket and we didn't have any change, right? So who is, but as much as we can be stopped from, from wanting to do a certain action. The idea of Rosh Hashanah is, who's stopping you from wanting the right things? This is what Hashem is looking at on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, there's a stricter judgment on your thoughts. Your thoughts and your intentions can be very pure. Your actions don't always follow. But on Rosh Hashanah, we're focused on thought. Hashem is judging your thoughts. He understands that the actions are not always in your hand. But the question is, how much do you want? How much do you yearn for? 
a connection with Hashem, the desire to align your will with his will, the desire to want to be in the playing field, to be on his team, to further the vision that God has for the world and for all of mankind. And of course, as Jews, we have a very special place in this vision. A lot of people don't realize that Rosh Hashanah is a judgment day for the entire world, Jew and non-Jew included, right? We know, we say it in the Maxar, God is judging all the countries. He's deciding what kind of catastrophes are going to happen in different places, right? We know that in the last two years, God has judged the entire world with this pandemic, with this incredible pause button that he's put everybody in the entire world on, almost asking the world to reflect and ask the question as humanity, where are we going? Is this world spiraling out of control? Is there somebody running the ship? Is there a master who can tell us how to, you know, build a world as opposed to destroy his world? And each one of us as a world, as a miniature world, asking ourselves, what can we do? How have we changed? What have we learned? Even in terms of understanding how little we understand and subjugating and and humbling ourselves, which is really the work of Rosh Hashanah. Hashem, I need you to be my king. I need you to tell me what I'm supposed to do, who I'm supposed to be. And then I'm on your team and I can actualize my true potential. So this is really the work of Rosh Hashanah. What do I really think about the world and my place in it? What we're supposed to do on Rosh Hashanah is really ask ourselves, what do I know? And based on what I know, how much am I living by what I believe to be true? Right? I know there's a God. I know he gave the Torah to the Jewish people. I mean, these are just the basics of Judaism. Right? If you're a believing and religious Jew, spiritually aware, knowledgeable, right? Everybody has to agree that Judaism is based on the Torah. Otherwise, it's based on nothing. And so we either believe what's written in the Torah, and that it's true, and it's relevant today, or we don't. And to the degree that we believe it, it's true that our actions are not always in line with it. But again, Rosh Hashanah is the day of machshava, of your thoughts. God is saying, which way are you turned? What would you like to be? Where would you like to get to? How close a connection do you want with me? It's up to you. You know, we talked about El Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li, the month of love. I am for my beloved, and my beloved is for me. But it's interesting. Ani Lidodi, it starts with us. Hashem is saying, first of all, you have to know who the Ani is, you have to know who you are. You have to go back to the basics. You are a Tzalem Elohim. I breathed life into you. The same way I breathed it into the first human being, I breathed it into you. 
You contain a piece of me within you. You are a part of me. You're not separate from me. You are a part of me. You have a piece of my soul, my divinity, my eternality within you. So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself, you know, back to that idea, I am a body and I have a soul? Or do you see yourself on Rosh Hashanah as I am a soul that has a body and not just any soul. I am a Jewish soul, which means that I was part of those souls at Mount Sinai that said, Nasevanishma, I'll do it. I am, and I'll understand it as I, as I, as I do it. I am one of those souls that said, I'll take on your mission, God. I'll partner with you to bring your world to where it's supposed to be. But first, we have to know who we are and what we're a part of, and that we're just another little link in a chain that goes way back before us and will continue long after us until we reach perfection in this world and the perfection of the entire humanity, because God created his world with a purpose, right? Six days, he created the world. And on the seventh day, he looked back, he, he finished it, but it wasn't complete. It was complete for that week. But then of course, there's more work to do the following week. The idea is that we have partnered with God in fulfilling the purpose of creation, which is Shabbat, which is the day when people recognize God and the world functions properly. And everybody understands what their task is and how they're supposed to live in a world of justice, in a world of compassion, in a world of forgiveness. And that's what we are a part of, but we're not just a part of it. We are supposed to be leading the world to that place. So Ani Lidodi, Ani, we have to know who the I is. And we're saying here too in this verse that we are the ones that take the first step towards God. It's not that, you know, we're saying God is mine and I am God and I and I am God's. We say it in the opposite. I am for my beloved, me. I'm the one who decides I want connection. I want relationship. I want to melt into this bigger picture and be proactively bringing the world to where it's supposed to come to. And then Hashem says, of course, and he steps into our lives, right? I heard a beautiful thing. It says that, you know, we have a pasuk. We say, that everything is in the hands of heaven. God is controlling everything. He truly is the absolute ruler and king of the world, right? The only thing he doesn't control, the only thing that's not in his control is Yirat Shemayim. What's Yirat Shemayim? So it's usually translated as fear of God. In other words, awe of God or recognizing God, really. Because the word fear, Yira, comes from the same word Lirot, which we all know means to see right? The more I see God, the more he's real to me, the, the more I sense his power and omnipotence, the more I recognize that I'm in awe. 
I don't want to uh, do something that disturbs this king, right? But another reading of it, which is just much more something that we can relate to, is everything's in the hands of heaven except for whether or not you decide to see God in your life. That's up to you. That is totally in your free will choice. God doesn't force us to see him. He doesn't force us to make him king. You know, another thing that Esther Ween said that was fascinating. Now, what is this king idea that we have to make God our king? So the idea of, of course, doing this is that we have to give God honor. We have to give him kavod. So she said, what is kavod? You know, what is honor? So honor can only happen between two people. You can't honor yourself. You need another person to honor you, right? In order to get kavod. But she said that, you know, once you beg that person to honor you, or you threaten them, or you bribe them, to give you kavod, it's no longer honor, right? Because that's not how you get kavod. So Hashem says the same thing to us. He says, I can't coerce you to give me kavod. I can't even coerce you to recognize me, to realize that I'm in your life, that I created you, that everything that happens in your day is because I'm part of your day. Only you can decide how much you want to see me, how much you want to recognize me, how much kavod you want to give me. Only you can do it. And the only way that you could give me this kavod, she goes on, is by becoming aware of who you are and what you are a part of. And then you can give me kavod and you can crown me as your king. But Anila Dodi, I am for my beloved. I am the one who has to take this step. I am the one that has to exercise this free will choice. And again, free will, being able to choose is what makes us like God, is what makes us different than the animals and the angels. We as human beings are the most like God because we do have a certain independence. Or even if it's an illusory independence, thinking that we could be separate from God, we have the choice of whether or not we're going to acknowledge and see God in our life or not. And to the degree that we want to see God in our life and we want that connection through the Torah and through the mitzvot and all of the ways that God says this is how physical man can connect to not only his own soul but to the transcendent spiritual world around him right this is the way that we become more of who we can become and of course further god's purpose for this world and all of consequences and all of din that happens in our life all of the things that go wrong all of the things that we don't, that don't feel good, right? Even though we say they're coming from a good and loving God. All of those things happen because we're not, we're not focused. We lose our focus. 
we need a little bit of a tap. Sometimes it's just a little tap. Like it says, first of all, it says if a person does din on themselves, you know, where am I going wrong? What do I need to fix? Then God says, okay, you're doing it to yourself. I don't have to, I don't have to help you in that area, right? But if we don't make that, you know, become introspective when something small goes wrong in our day, you know, our dishwasher malfunctions, or we stub our toe, or we pick up the wrong thing at Costco, and we have to go back and stand in that long line of return it, right? If we don't say in those moments, okay, Hashem, you're the king, right? This isn't about, oh my gosh, everything's supposed to go perfectly for me. What's going on here? But rather bowing your head and saying, okay, Hashem, give it to me, you know, and give it to me in these little small ways where I actually notice you and recognize you. So again, it's in two ways that we see God in our lives, right? Obviously, we see him, hopefully, in the good and the blessings. Thank God, the recent marriage of our son, Judy Schwartz, just celebrated. In those incredibly high and exhilarating moments of life, we naturally, as Jews, we say, thank you, God, right? But if we were really clued in, like the Gemara says, a, a great person thanks Hashem equally, equally for the good and the bad. Now, this is a very high level, right? But if we practice this in the little things that happen in our day and say, this is also God, right? When something doesn't go the way I want, when something isn't perfect, when I have a situation in my life that doesn't go away and we say, we can pray for it to change, we can hope that it will disappear or become um, resolved. But while it isn't, we also have to say, Hashem, hu ha-melech. Hashem, even the things in my life that are difficult and wouldn't be the way I chose them to be, even those things are part of your loving kindness for me, your instruction. They're preventative. You know, as a kid, our parents tell us, brush your teeth, right? And every kid tries to get away without brushing their teeth, right? It feels like, leave me alone. But we all know with hindsight, right? If you don't brush your teeth, you're not going to have your teeth for very long as you get older. So we might say to our parents, you know, leave me alone. Don't bother me. I don't want to brush my teeth, right? But brushing our teeth or God saying, you know, this is something that I have to give you or that has to happen is a way of God preventing us from something worse, God willing. So when we see the din in the small things in our life, there is an idea in Yiddishkeit that God says, okay, you noticed me, you recognized me in the little things. I don't have to bring some major catastrophe to make you notice me. So again, back to that Pasuk, everything is in the hands of God, right? We've talked about in other classes, every leaf that falls from a tree, according to Jewish thought, is only because God tells the leaf fall now okay so if that's true of a leaf call the homer as we say even more so is it true of what goes on in our lives in our days now of course a lot of what happens in our life in our day some of it is within our control right it's because of our own actions but even there i like to say god sometimes makes us blind you know, 
We've all had situations like that in our lives where God makes us blind. How could it be that I didn't realize, God forbid, that I have stage four cancer, right? I had so many, like, why didn't my doctor send me for an MRI? Why didn't, you know, you put, you start going back and going over and over all the things that, how could it be that this could have been overlooked? How could it be that, you know, somebody didn't catch this? You know, why I was talking to my cousin the other day, who's, brother dropped dead going out for a jog and his her father died the same way just you know one day going to the hospital and dropping dead in the hall he was a doctor same age and she was telling me why didn't I make my brother get doctor's appointments why didn't I make him you know chat you know he was in perfect shape he ate well he exercised but why wasn't he going every year to a doctor to check his heart why didn't I make him do that? And of course, that's futile. Because again, there's situations where God makes us blind. And we don't know why. But it's obviously part of the scheme. And it's part of the plan. And we can't beat ourselves up over those places in our lives where God makes us blind. Because obviously, he has a plan for the world, which we are not privy to, and which we don't understand. And there's often din in this world, big kinds of din, tragic kinds of din that we can't understand. But again, it's part of our knowledge that we have as Jews that in this world, we're going to have a lot of questions. But in the next world, we're going to have no questions, only answers, because we're going to see the entire story and we're going to understand exactly why certain things had to happen to further the storyline towards its you know resolution its good resolution so you know all of these ideas and thoughts this is what Hashem is looking at on Rosh Hashanah even if our actions don't go together with our intentions with our lofty desire God says it doesn't matter today I just want to know which way you're turned how much do you want to fulfill your purpose in this world the ani the who you are and can be and how much do you want to be connected and in partnership with me you know in a in a conscious free will choice type of way, which is really the only way that matters. So another aspect that takes us away from Hashem, and I don't want to, is arrogance, is gaiva. We've talked about this before, right? God basically says about every other character trait, you know, I can tolerate, but an arrogant person, somebody who sees himself as the center of the universe, there's no room, God says, in my universe for him and me, so to speak. Because Gaiva, or very, Gaiva is very often, Dina Schoonmaker says, linked to success. 
the more successful a person is in the world in terms of what the world sees as successful, the more privy he is, the more prone he is to arrogance. You know, even in the Torah, we have over and over again this verse where it says, B'nai Yisrael got fat and kicked. In other words, B'nai Yisrael, the Jewish people got fat. They got prosperous. They became wealthy. They became very high in society. They became accepted by the Goyim, whatever that means, that we got fat. In other words, we were comfortable. And it says, what happens right after that? They kicked. Who do they kick? They kick God. They say, God, we don't need you anymore. We're doing really well. We're at the top of society in Germany. We're the professors. We're the doctors. We're the scientists. We're the musicians. We're the artists. The world looks up to us. They recognize how great we are. Now, this can happen to us as a people over and over again. And of course, individual, individually too. Look at my great figure. Wow, look at my IQ. Look at that tennis shot, right? When your heart is haughty, the Torah teaches us, you forget Hashem. The byproduct of success is often gaiva. And so it follows that failure is an opportunity for another, for humility, for its opposite. Now, failure can bring anava in a healthy way, not in a way that creates depression, but rather in a way that's uh, instructive, right? The idea, not that I'm frustrated and dejected, but rather to say again, I, I pray to God, as Katsuka Rebbe said, to remember that I'm not God, right? I pray to God to remember that I'm not God, that I'm not running the show. And so failure comes in a way to teach us how small we are, to deflate us, but in a healthy way, if we use it in a healthy way, like the tzaddik, again, back to that pasuk, right? The tzaddik falls seven times, but why is he a tzaddik? Because he raises himself up again. He learns something from the experience. He becomes ennobled because of the suffering and the failure. And we all know so many stories of people who made it big, whether in the secular world or even in the spiritual world, after many, many failures and many attempts and um, difficulties along the way. Okay, I just wanna end with something that I came across. Actually, thank you to Ellie Bass, because I heard her mention this. And actually it was written in 2015 in the New York Times. Sorry about that. And it's called The Moral Bucket List. You can, you can Google it if you want to see the entire article. But basically, it's this man that's talking about, uh, you know, it's, he doesn't use the word God, of course, because God is not a word anybody uses. But when you read these articles, if you would put God in, it would make more sense in terms of really understanding things. But he obviously understands a lot. This is what he writes. About once a month, I run across a person who radiates an inner light. These people can be in any walk of life. They seem deeply good. They listen well. They make you feel funny and valued. You often catch them looking after other people. And as they do so, their laugh is musical. 
and their manner is infused with gratitude. They're not thinking about the wonderful work they're doing. They're not thinking about themselves at all. Okay, just further on, he says, it occurred to me that there are two sets of virtues, the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral, whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful. Were you capable of deep love? We all know that the eulogy virtues are more important than the resume ones. This is the key. But our culture and our educational systems spend more time teaching the skills and strategies you need for career success than the qualities you need to radiate that sort of inner light. Many of us are clear on how to build an external career than on how to build inner character. Another thing he says is I came to the conclusion that wonderful people are made, not born, right? As we've said in many classes, God gives us the raw materials, the homer, but we're the ones who make ourselves, right? My gift to God is what I give back to him. God, um, who I am is God's gift to me, but who I become is my gift to God. And he talks about the way that people make themselves is through moral choices, is through choosing the higher road. And this is what creates these kind of people. He says, people on this road to inner light don't ask, what do I want from life? But rather, what does life ask of me? Or I would say, what do I want from God? You know, God, we have a whole list of things that we want to ask you for this year. We want good Parnassa. We want marriage for our children. We want joy and happiness in our life. Or we have a long list of all the things. We want health, right? We have a long list. But it says here, these people, they don't ask, what do I want from God? But brother, what does God ask of me? And they see life as a moral drama, he says, right? Not as the road to success is my choices. Do I choose in a Jewish sense to align myself with my purpose as a soul who's in the service of God and who's willing to humble myself because this king is so great and so magnificent that when I connect to him, it makes me great. It makes me magnificent. It allows me to actualize all of those godly potentials that I have within me. That's my choice. Or do I live an illusion of disconnection where I think that in some way, somehow I'm separate, which of course is total non-reality. Okay, ladies, I hope that I've given you some things to think about for the upcoming Chag. A lot of it was some stream of consciousness. Um, but, you know, we can only go back again and again and again. Even myself, when I'm feeling in a bit of a slump or I'm feeling, you know, just a difficult day. What I do as an exercise, and you can do this too, is to write down five things that I know for sure. 
you have to go over these foundational ideas. You know, God loves me. He's here with me. I can talk to him. He cares about me. You know, this down is only because of the eventual up that I'm going to have, right? And guide me and lead me and help me. And just talk to God in your own words and make him real. Because the more real we make God, the more we see him in the everyday, the more we become who we can, who, who we can become, what we're capable of becoming. So my wish to all of us is that we have a happy, healthy, sweet new year for you and your families, for the entire Jewish community, and of course, to the world at large. And whatever lessons mankind is supposed to learn from this difficult and horrific situation that we're in, may we at least learn the one crucial lesson, which is that we are not running the world. We are not even running our lives, our little worlds, but that Hashem is master and king and in charge. And we should be asking Hashem, what am I supposed to be doing? What can I do? Not what can you do for me? What can I do for you to get this world to where it's supposed to go? Because we're all very, very powerful ladies, more powerful than we imagine. And just like we know that if one letter is missing from a safer Torah, it's not kosher. We can't read from it. If one Jew is not on board, if one Jew is not working towards actualizing themselves and seeing themselves as part of this great project, and we're, 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 we're chaser, we're lacking. And each one of you ladies who are on today, you know what, you know, you're in the right place, which means that you understand that you are important and everything you do, only you can do it. Nobody else in this entire world from the beginning of creation is exactly you with your situation. So ladies, let's, do something great for ourselves and for the world and reconnect this yanta. Okay. Think about these things while you're in shul. I love you. And God willing, I'll see you between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And we'll talk about Yom Kippur then. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. So appreciate. Fantastic. everyone. Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class, or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahVale at Yahoo.ca. That's Deborah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, Vale, V-A-L-E, at Yahoo.ca.